I'm Chance Dorland, and welcome to This Week Korea, an Anything Goes panel discussion program featuring the opinions of expats and often Korean nationals on some of the biggest yet underreported stories from the last week. Brought to you, of course, by KoreaFM.net. Today is Sunday, August 23rd, and on today's show, she's an American English teacher who's lived in Korea for five years. She's a poet and feminist interested in pop culture and how the media influences the way we think, who has contributed articles to popmythology.com, and uh, you can now read more of her work in the upcoming September edition of Groove Magazine. Mary Hickman, great to have you on the program. Hi. Our next guest is the resident food guy here in South Korea, a very long-term expat. You've probably read something he's written, seen him on television, or perhaps heard him on English radio here in Korea. He's also the man behind ZenKimchi.com. Mr. Joe McPherson, thank you for joining us. Hey, thank you. Also, I'm, I'm also sometimes the host of the Soul Podcast whenever we feel like recording. That's right. The Soul Podcast, one of the podcasts featured on KoreaFM.net. And uh, one of the longest-running podcasts that uh, are still going nowadays, once again, when you decide to, <laughs> to record. And our final guest is an American journalist and longtime expat based here in South Korea. He works for ZDNet as a reporter covering Korea's tech industry, and his writing has also encompassed a very wide field of other subjects, including regional diplomacy, North Korean spies, travel in Central Asia, and even K-pop. Philip Biglauer, thank you for being with us. Thank you for having me. And I'm Chance Dorlin, an American radio journalist and former Peace Corps volunteer living and working here in Seoul. And as I've just mentioned, I'm also the guy behind KoreaFM.net, an online radio station that features independent musicians and podcasters from the Korean Peninsula. And This Week Korea is one of our, our new initiatives for original programming. We have This Week Korea, we have our uh, daily Korean news update, and we also have a new program that comes out about once a week called Korea Speaks, which is a mixture of interviews with experts as well as man-on-the-street interviews concerning topics that uh, face Korea every week. So... Everybody, let's get going here. We have had a lot of interesting developments on the peninsula as of late. So our first topic, perhaps, is no surprise. This weekend, South Korean President Park Geun-hye ordered military units to retaliate against North Korea if they are provoked in response to an exchange of artillery shells by the two nations, as well as Thursday's ultimatum from Pyongyang that a strong military action would take place by 5 p.m. yesterday if the South had not dismantled its psychological warfare loudspeakers along the DMZ, a program that was actually only restarted about two weeks ago in retaliation for a reported North Korean landmine attack that left two South Korean soldiers severely injured. However, North Korea still denies involvement with that incident, and the resulting use of loudspeakers by the South was actually the first time that either side had returned to that type of psychological warfare campaign since an agreement to stop that 11 years ago. Now, we're all here. We're all still alive. <laughs> the sirens aren't going off. So things didn't end up escalating the way that, you know, North Korea had said they might. So what did happen? Well, the two countries started 10-hour high-level talks about an hour after that ultimatum passed yesterday. And those only stopped this morning at about 4.15 a.m. And now today, Sunday, August 23rd, North and South Korea are scheduled to resume those high-level talks later this afternoon. Something else that I want to bring up before we start the discussion is this idea that despite all of yesterday's, you know, oh my gosh, what's going to happen, this 5 p.m. ultimatum by North Korea, South Koreans did not start hoarding food, water, or emergency supplies like in the United States or another country during, you know, oh, there's going to be a giant storm or we're going to have a war. People weren't buying things. South Korea's largest discount chain, E-Mart, says stores in cities near the DMZ or even here in Seoul didn't report a rise in sales. G-Market, one of South Korea's largest online shopping retailers, as well as, you know, large discount chains here in South Korea like Home Plus and Lotte Mart, also did not report any change in consumer spending. So now... Let's get to it. How did this affect everyone? Did you talk about this with your friends here in Korea, your coworkers? You know, did you hear from people back home asking if you were okay? And were you actually worried that this might be perhaps the one time when shit would hit the fan between the two Koreas as South Korea, President Park Geun-hye did not look like it was going to back down? Or perhaps were you a little bit more like me when I spoke to the BBC on Friday night and I told them that you know, in my opinion, South Korea is maybe the one place in the world where people don't live in fear of the North 
And people this weekend have been living their lives without being attacked. I was in Hongdae yesterday with my girlfriend, and it was one of the busiest days that I could remember this summer. I thought it was kind of funny. I mean, like you, just like you said, I mean, I, it was obviously not going to happen. No one really believed that there was going to be an attack. The 5 p.m., that kind of 5 p.m. ultimatum has happened before. Yonhap ran a story in Korean language, not in English language, of the past four years, how many incidences have occurred on the DMZ, and it's over 100. So, you know, obviously not every single time of those 100 incidences was there a time-specific ultimatum, but still, I mean, come on, this happens very, very frequently. To be alarmed would be news. Actually, that's, that's a pretty good point. Being in a position where you felt like something might happen in itself is kind of a change. But, Philip, you never thought anything about this current situation was different. Not even once. <laughs> well, okay, what's different is this. Uh, it was probably an incident that you know could have been avoided but wasn't. So each side could get a little bit of leverage for what is much more rumored about, at least in Korean language, maybe in English too, upcoming talks between possible upcoming talks between North and South Korea in Beijing next in next month in early September for the 70th anniversary of the um, end of World War II in China. Uh, obviously, North Korea, there's no confirmation that the North Korean side will attend. Uh, the same kind of rumoring occurred when Moscow held its 70th anniversary of the end of World War II. I think that was in May. So, I mean, this is, I think, something that should be speculated about much more than whether there will be, you know, serious hostilities over the DMZ. What about you, Joe and Mary? Were you guys worried at all or just like Philip, didn't care, had a great weekend? <laughs> it's funny. These days, I've lived here for 11 years. And <clears throat> now these days, I only find out about these things when my family contacts me. From back home, you mean? <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> and I and I pay attention to the news, and I only found just just they're, they're texting me, Joe, you know, get ready. I hear there there's danger happening. I'm like, I'm fine. You're a bunch of pussies. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Must be great reunions over at the McPherson residence. Yeah, it's just funny. And then last night uh, we were shutting lights down, going to bed, and then there was some thunder in the distance. And my wife and I were joking, we're like, oh, maybe North Korea's attacking. And I said, okay, I'll check the news. Now let's go to sleep. <laughs> That's kind of how it was. <laughs> now, Joe, this is something that I mentioned uh, to the BBC. I came here the first time four or five years ago when the same day, actually, that North Korea shelled that island and killed a couple of people. And I landed in the airport this first time I'd really been in Asia and there were troops running around and I saw the, the television screens. There was just smoke everywhere. I got yeah. to my workplace the next day and everyone told me it was fine. Everyone yeah. said, don't worry. No one cares. But I had to send so many messages to people back home because they're like, <laughs> oh, my God, the day you landed in Korea was the day that everyone is going to die. Not not far from the airport were the shells actually. Yeah, exactly. Nope. So 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 yeah, talk about what that's been like being a longtime expat here. Is it every time something flares up, do you get a message from someone back home? Uh, well, now actually, that one was one of the more serious ones because people were actually were killed. I think on that one. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that was more serious. Yeah, but uh, generally, yeah, I just I just see people panicking from home. A lot because uh, Fox News just loves hyping everything up, and it's always my family who watches Fox that always contact me. <laughs> <laughs> and so, Mary, what's this been like for you? Um, this obviously started a little bit before the weekend, but uh, maybe over the weekend there wouldn't have been as many chances to talk to coworkers. How how has this you know reverberated in your life? Um, it's kind of the same for me as with Joe. Uh, I got some messages from friends on Facebook asking me if everything was okay. And uh, honestly, I just sort of gauge my reaction by how the Korean people are, are taking it or reacting. And you look around and no one's freaking out, so right. I didn't worry. There was an incident a year or two ago that was so serious that part of the news was people were watching the TV at Seoul Station. And then they, 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 the train came and they left. Yeah. I was going to say, you can go to Seoul Station and see people watching TV at any time of the day, at any time of the week. 
True. Actually, you're right. Because <laughs> when I saw that photo, I was like, that, that's how all people always watch the TV at Soul Station. They're always yeah, crowded you... around looking at some drama. <laughs> There's nothing right. else to do while you're waiting for the train. <laughs> it's true. I, I did think it was kind of funny. I mean, this whole incident was kind of funny. It's more about how the South and the North do act like a bunch of teenagers. I mean, you think about it. The North, the North made the South angry, and what was their response? They went to the room and turned up their stereo. Yeah, this is an interesting incident because it all started with what is a horrible situation where I believe two South Korean army captains lost their, I, I think maybe both of their legs um, because of this mine incident. Um, and then it escalated into this rather comical, our loudspeakers versus your loudspeakers. So what do we think about the escalation? Was it a mistake, do you think, for the South Korean government to go back to that psychological warfare campaign after a real event where soldiers were injured? It hasn't necessarily been proven that the North was to blame for that. As I mentioned, they do deny that. Do you think it was appropriate for this escalation? I personally saw on social media a lot of my expat friends, as well as some Koreans that I'm connected with on Facebook and other things they said finally you know someone is standing up enough with this bullshit we always hear this from north korea and finally they're doing something about it it sounded like Mm -hmm. people were a little happy that it was no more just okay north korea you can attack us and we don't care right well there's some i have a question actually which is like uh because i don't know this maybe one of you know this uh what's the evidence for those minds being from North Korea to begin with. Well, the thing that that was interesting to me that wasn't as reported, I mean, maybe because I've been a reporter here for so long, I became a nerd to it. But back in 2010, or maybe it was early 2011, there was a lot of uh, hoopla-la about uh, Samsung's new robot sentry that was going to be deployed uh, exactly where the incident took place, around Paju, and it was going to prevent any kind of infiltration across the border. This high-tech robot sentry. It was like a drone that had a camera and it was mounted, machine guns were mounted on it. What happened to that piece of uh, technology that was going to protect us? And Wait, is second- that like, like yes. RoboCop? Yes. Yeah, it was just like that thing from RoboCop. It's like, it's like, South Korea's never watched any type of science fiction or they never got the message from watching science fiction. Right. <laughs> well, so correct me if I'm wrong, what I read um, and what I reported um, was that there was fog And there were some trees, and they're saying that because of fog and trees, so basically weather and, you know, lack of a clear viewpoint, that they think that some North Koreans snuck in and buried what would amount to be like wooden mines. But if you ever go up there, the weather is always crappy in Paju. They always have, yeah, do you live there? I'm sorry. Well, I live in Gimpo, but I'm not too far from Paju. (laughs) Well, the weather is not very good there in general. So you think if you're going to make a million dollar robot sentry, you're going to, you know, you're going to basically anticipate crappy weather. Well, so then what, what do we think of this situation? Do we think that it's appropriate that they said North Korea did this? Do you think that they need a smoking gun before they can make that? And then whether, you know, and then let's just pretend that, okay, North Korea did do it. Was it the right thing to go with the loudspeakers or should they have, you know, par for the course? You know, they sink a battleship. We don't, go to war they attack an island we don't go to war what would the appropriate response here have been well north korea still denies that they sink the chonan they're always going to deny they did anything and uh and recently uh some commanders have really gotten in trouble because of uh a a less than aggressive response to these things so they've been promising a more aggressive response and you know speakers on the dmz that's okay sure okay Play your music. What's interesting is I heard that they one of the K-pop songs they play, uh, you know, in their in their attempt to oh you know it, okay. do it. That's propaganda. It was it was K-pop. It was K-pop, and the band is Four Minute. That's oh, why. Gosh. Oh, so that's angry. why. So, Phil, could you talk about that? It's a mixture of music and like messages. Right. So there's messages. You know, uh, Kim Jong Un is fat. Your your <laughs> system sucks. <laughs> no Those kind this of- is not. This is not true. That is not the real message, Philip. It may have, it may be. I mean, I'm sure they're th- hurling insults. Did any of you see that uh, really popular post on Reddit recently? Yeah, Mary, you sent me that before the program. Talk about that. Yeah, I actually saw that on uh, an article you were following on Facebook. So I, I don't know how reliable this person is. Their handle is Soul Doctor. Um, <laughs> Sounds reliable. He, <laughs> <laughs> He's a doctor. Uh, but he goes into some really 
explicit detail about the kinds of things that they're um, projecting from the loudspeakers and that it's actually a really well thought out strategic program that they do mm. where like they initially build up trust by talking about the weather so when their weather <laughs> predictions are accurate then I, well yeah that's hard enough to get a good weather prediction <laughs> okay so mary weave us the story here they start with the weather so they start with the weather and um in between their news um propaganda i guess you'd call it they do slip in K-pop songs, which I thought was pretty funny. And an um, ad for the Galaxy Note 5. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so they start to build up trust, and then eventually they get to a point where they bypass the media censorship. So what they do is they'll report something that the administration has done. And the DPRK newspaper system is a little slow and laggy, so then it comes out uh, later, something that they've done, and it matches, but the reasons are different. Yeah, that's smart. Yeah, I get it. That sounds, that sounds like a reason, you know, if you're going to have the loudspeaker, that sounds like a good way to do it. That, sound, that sounds, that, yeah, that's really clever. I don't think that's clever at all. That's no different than when I watch CNN and then I watch, you know, Russia Today, and they report the same news, and Russia Today has a different analysis. Why am I going to listen to Russia Today's analysis? Well, okay, fair enough. Maybe, maybe they're, it's not like they just, you know, solved some great problem. But if you're a North Korean and you're able to hear this loudspeaker and then it's just, you know, kind of monotonous of here's a K-pop song and then here's some weather and then they slip into one of these stories, I, I think that could grab your attention. I don't know. I, I don't know if the loudspeaker was, was necessarily the best thing. Um, I, I do think that South Korea definitely could take a little less crap from North Korea from time to time. So I think it was interesting to see them stand up a little bit more. But if they're going to go with the loudspeakers, I, I think this is a, a good way to go with it. We, we, we've kind of covered a lot of the topics here. Any, any final thoughts? Where do you think this is going to go? Is North Korea just going to get some more aid out of these talks? Are they just going to promise to not do something? And in the end, is North Korea going to look like the winner here? Well, a while back, I had a few drinks with one of the guys who used to be interpreter over on the DMZ. And he said, when stuff like this happens and they get together, it, is, it ends up just being a big piss-up and everyone gets drunk. <laughs> That's why it was going on until four in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> I think we should watch to see if North Korea actually attends the China 70th anniversary of the end of World War II. If that happens, then you know there's something substantive and positive came out of this ridiculousness. If not, then it's business as usual. Because the Blue House just announced that President Park and Hay this week, I think, was the announcement that she will be attending, yep. which was a big deal. Because um, you know, if you if you read into all the the opinion pieces out there, the United States was trying to get South Korea to not go. China said South Korea would really regret not coming. So this was a, a very interesting development. Wow! Back to our tributary state system. <laughs> well, I think it's embarrassing for Russia, too, because Russia wanted to be the one to broker this peace. And now it's China again, outshining Russia again. Well, I'll leave it on that. I think that's a, an interesting way to look at this, Philip. Um, Mary, before we go on to our next topic, uh, could you tell us uh, a little bit about uh, kind of what you do here in Seoul and the life you've made for yourself? Uh, you haven't been here quite as long as Philip and uh, Joe, but um, you're very involved with the music industry and you're also a poet. Um, well, uh, I'm married to a musician, so there's that. <laughs> So Yay. I, yeah, so I go to a lot of shows and I'm friends with a lot of musicians here. Um, I'm working at a woman's university, which has been great, really amazing. And sometimes I write articles about pop culture. Yeah. And then could you could you talk about uh, as a teacher here in South Korea, it's, it's very normal to kind of jump around job-wise, and that could mean working in the public sphere for like a high school, middle school, and elementary, or an after-school hagwon. And now you, you've made it up to the, the, the really good game of like, you know, being a university teacher, but you're also at a women's university. Could you talk about how that's been different than perhaps some of your other work experiences? Well, I think the really shocking thing for me was the fact that I'm one of two women in my office, foreigners, that is. There's a lot of Korean uh, female teachers as well, but that largely they tend to prefer hiring men within the university system, at least where I am. Hmm. And uh, I, I thought that was really shocking because it's a woman's university. So 
I was a little surprised by that. However, having worked in the kindergarten system, um, they tend to prefer women for that. So, you know, it kind of it's kind of interesting. Yeah, it's it's an interesting system because uh, living here in South Korea, um, I've been here the last two years. Um, you guys all have been here longer than me. Um, it's been great to kind of speak to uh, you know people like yourself, Mary, and and other female friends that I have here in South Korea because it is very different being a woman in South Korea, a, a Korean woman or a foreign woman, or being a foreign man or a Korean man in South Korea. And one of the things is jobs. Um, you know, they talk about how difficult it is for uh, females here in South Korea to reach the executive level. I just did a story about that where the executive level for women in South Korea is very poor, you know, proportionally this glass ceiling. A company like Samsung, surprisingly, is actually at about half. So it's it's the leader in the game. It has about really? yeah, half of executives oh. at Samsung are women and everyone else is pretty much below that. But the interesting thing is what you mentioned about hiring practices. I think in some areas, you know, having to deal with with the, the problems of being a woman in the workplace is definitely present. And it's something that makes it unfair for the female side of the equation. But when it does come to kindergarten, I think women do do pretty well here in South Korea. Well, there's this whole perception that women are more nurturing and caring, which is, you know, in itself, a form of benevolent sexism. Um, and so, yeah, great. It can work in your favor sometimes, but it does keep you at a certain level. Interestingly enough, I don't think I would have gotten this job if the other female foreigner hadn't mentioned to the boss, like, hey, can you please hire a woman? That would be great. <laughs> <laughs> We're at this women's university. It would be nice if... Great. Well, yeah, no, I, w I was really uh, happy to see that uh, you'd been able to move up to that position. That's kind of the goal for a lot of people here is um, when you get to South Korea, especially with the change in... English teaching, which I, I know, Joe, you, you've been posting a lot about on Facebook about how the industry is kind of drying up. So, uh, yeah, happy to see you over at the Women's University and hope you can stay there for a very long time with you and uh, your music husbands. <laughs> um, we'll leave him out of the conversation, but a very well-known musician here in South Korea. Uh, moving along now to our second topic, the Korea Times reports a horrible story and the fears that have now risen because of this. Um, hitting cameras, these videos, these photos, that are just really kind of skyrocketing here in South Korea is causing fear among women on the peninsula, especially after this recent event. A video clip shows more than 100 women showering in a locker room at a very popular water resort, Caribbean Bay. It's gone viral this week. Police say the 10-minute video was filmed actually last year, but was released recently on a U.S.-based website. The video is reported to have been recorded actually by a woman in her 20s, and I saw a screenshot on the internet. You can actually see the woman's face in the mirror. She appears to be holding what looks maybe to be like a phone. Um, and she appears to be ethnically Asian, but of course you couldn't tell her nationality you know, based on that photo. And so it'll be interesting to see if they're able to find this person. But you know, the situation that I've described so far already sounds bad enough. However, police report that the footage not only shows the faces you know, private areas of women showering, but also what appear to be underage children. So this is just a horrible, horrible situation. And this is one specific event, but I can tell you that through the reporting that I've done recently for broadcasters in Korea, hidden camera crimes are on the rise here, so much so that they actually have people patrolling subway stations and um, uh, subway cars specifically looking for, you know, I'll be honest, most likely, you know, creepy guys taking upskirt photos. But of course, with this specific video, we see that it also can happen on the other side of the equation. A woman apparently um, filmed this video of 100 women showering at Caribbean Bay. So uh, just some numbers before we open up the discussion. Crimes involving hitting cameras have jumped from 2,400 back in 2012 to 6,623 reported crimes last year. So a pretty big jump. And obviously... Those are just the reported ones. Mm -hmm. So like most laws in Korea, there are some consequences for this type of thing. But just like is also unfortunately the case in Korea, they're often not enforced. So here in South Korea, people taking or distributing photos or videos via hitting cameras could face up to five years in prison and a maximum fine of about 10 million won, so $8,500. However, the vast majority of these offenders only have received fines. So first off, here in Seoul, here in South Korea, has anyone ever seen someone, you know, appear to be trying to take video or pictures, 
in a public place with like a hidden camera or have any of you been worried that, you know, either while you were changing somewhere or someone might've been filming you, you know, kind of in a creepy way. And then whether or not that there's a yes to any of those answers, is there any way that we can actually deal with these crimes in a pragmatic way? Or is this just the inevitable result of everyone having a smartphone and everyone being able to buy what basically boils down to like a button sized camera on the internet for just a handful of dollars? Well, didn't didn't they try to curb that a few years ago when they made the smartphones have a noise every time you hit record? Yeah, so I, I was just at an event uh, yesterday for North Korean speakers um, giving speeches uh, in English, and I felt bad because when I took a picture on my cell phone, even though that it was on mute and you couldn't hear a sound coming out of it, when I took a picture, it had that electronic shutter sound. I saw the, uh, the photographs of the lady looking at herself in the mirror, because I was interested in what kind of camera she was using. And uh, just because the whole spy cam, as far as tech goes, you know, the spy cam thing is, is pretty popular. People order it online a lot. And the instrument that she used, apparently, is something called cover photo. It's, it's kind of like a periscope case. You put it on your iPhone, iPhone 5 or iPhone 5S. And uh, the periscope function allows you to take a picture or take video with your phone but it looks like you're just holding it down, like you might be reading mm-hmm. something, texting. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the text she used. I mean, you can see it basically when she accidentally shoots herself in the mirror. And uh, another thing, I think because she did that, they're going to catch her. I mean, they saw her, they have her face. They just have the police have to do the legwork of matching every single photo with um, you know people's IDs. Well, yeah, they can check the CCT footage if it still exists at Everland and try to try to put something together as well. Hmm. Interesting. I think um, this was mentioned, but uh, maybe one of my friends mentioned this, but somebody said, thank God this wasn't a foreigner. Yes. Yes. Mary, I think we have some, some common friends, uh, uh, maybe, a, maybe a male friend of ours mentioned that. Yeah. If this had been a foreigner, I I might have just left the country. I, I this would have nah. been the worst story. This would have been on the cover of every English newspaper. This would have been horrible. Uh, would have happened. I, I kind of I kind of was entertained by the Korea Times story. Uh, some little things. For one thing, they actually gave you the exact name of the video, so I could Google it. Yeah, I thought that as well. Yeah, no, I I saw that. Yeah, and I love this quote. I think most women have no idea how widespread such videos are, a 30-year-old man surnamed Park said. I am actually <laughs> surprised by the fact the video of leakage became an issue. There are plenty of others online. Thank you, Mr. Park. <laughs> <laughs> by the way, I, I, you guys probably know this because you're longtime expats too, but you know, from April to July or August is the crackdown period for the uh, spy cam perverts on the subway. Yeah, that's what I was talking about. They have they have the special police or special infiltration units, um, not only on the subway, but also taking pictures at a beach is now illegal. If you take a picture of a woman in a bikini and it's just like, I'm just taking a picture, you could go to jail um, or, or receive a fine, as I just talked about. But it's criminalized now because it's criminalized because it could be sexualized. The photo you take could be used mm. in a sexual way. I spoke to... Um, Michael Hertz, uh, basically the street photographer here in Korea. He's the guy to talk about for this type of stuff. Uh, uh, a couple weeks ago, I, I interviewed him for my job. He was very upset by this. Um, and, you know, no one wants pervs out there taking photos of people at the beach. But, like, you know, in the States, if you go to a public beach and you take photos and people are in the background, it's a public area. You're expected to be able to take photos of people. In Korea, it's the exact opposite. Um, but, but, but Mary, I, you know, the, the elephant in the room, you're the only female here on the program right now. How does this affect you? When you go, I, I go to Jim Jobong's quite often. I love sitting in the hot water. I love paying $8 and being able to, you know, save money as opposed to going to a hotel when I'm traveling or out with friends and in any part of uh, the country because they're all over the place. Uh, do, do, do you have maybe like a, a little bit of an added fear here in Korea versus back home in the States, or is it the same here as it would be anywhere for you? Um, I was kind of surprised something like this hadn't happened to be before, to be honest, uh, just because when you go to a public bath, you know, there's all these people you can't, sometimes you can't really uh, keep track of what they're doing, you know. And I did hear a story 
couple years ago of a man who actually dressed up like a woman to go into the woman's changing room of the Jim Jobong of the Korean sauna. So. Wow. Buddies. <laughs> All right. Desperate, wow. right? <laughs> So then, uh, I go as I mentioned. I, I love Jim Jobong's. Mary, you've been to one as well. I assume everyone here on the panel has probably been to one at least once. Yeah. Uh, what what what's the answer for like a public showering area, either at Caribbean Bay or at a Jim Jobong? Should they just say no electronics? If you take out, uh, you know, a cell phone or a smartwatch, like someone will come and hold you until the police come and question you. Is that the final answer? I don't know. That after this horrible video surfaced, that's unreasonable. Well, I'd hate to see it come to that because that's very, I don't know, that's it's really regulating people's freedom. Um, on the other hand, I don't really have a different answer or a better response to that. So maybe that's the way it will be. Yeah, uh, yeah the, the no cell phone policy, if there's some way you can have like some type of well, electronics detector people have to go through to enter these types of places. That might work for a, a large place like uh, Caribbean Bay, but uh, that <laughs> might be hard to have that at the local Jim Jilbong. Can you imagine trying to enforce that? Oh, my God. I mean, it's, there's really nothing you can do. I mean, you can't prevent people. And at Jim Jilbong especially, you're spending six hours in there. You're going to say that no one can check their cell phone for six hours in this day and age? <laughs> Come on. And this will never happen. I mean, that's going to be hard to enforce, but like, I, I feel bad. Like, I just like, could you imagine? I've, I've had some bad things happen to me, you know, in the course of my life. Like, you know, they're just like, oh man, like, God, that sucks. And like, I, but I've never had anything like this happen to me. Could you imagine if someone saw this video and they like, even a friend and they're like, hey, you know, Stephanie, like, Okay, I watched this video, but like you're in this video. Like, did you know you're in this video? Like, that would just be like the worst day of your life. Yeah. And, and, I guess. and, and I'm sorry that like you can't check your phone for six hours because I want to check my phone too, but like we can't have this happening. Yeah. I mean, if people took videos of me, you could use it as psychological warfare against North Korea. That's the next step. Yeah, they put up the Videotron with naked photos of Joe. <laughs> yeah. But, um,. Yeah, this, this is not one of those things we're going to be able to solve so quickly. <laughs> we're just beginning to just see it as an issue, and I'm sure we're going to have some slapdash uh, solutions for this. Uh, it's just going to have to keep. It's going to happen a few more times before anything's really done about it. Yeah, that I agree with you with. Uh, that that is an excellent point, Joe. Just like shootings in the United States, it is going to have to happen quite a few more times before anything happens. <laughs> I'm not touching. They caught. That. They Sorry. caught this video. They caught the video pretty quickly, right? Like shortly after no. it was posted. No. Oh, How well, after, well it, it, apparently it was shot last year, and then it was posted online. So you know, last where week. where are people posting it on YouTube or a different site? I, I don't know. I guess on the interweb scene. <laughs> Might have been spread so much that it's impossible to take down. Oh, it's impossible now. It's totally viral. Korea Boo covered it. Jesus. Yeah, well, once Korea Boo's on the scene, that's a good point. Oh, boom, got it. No problem. Yeah, you can find it easily. Yeah, just you just you just you just paste that in the Google and hit videos and boom, it pops right up. <sighs> yeah, I don't know. And now I'm going to get contacted by the police. <laughs> well, I guess uh, we've we've talked about this a lot, but I guess uh, a final point to make th- you kind of talked about this earlier, Philip, and then I think, Joe, you, you talked about the CCTV. I'm not so sure this person's ever going to be caught. Yeah, I'm not so sure either. I lo- I'm looking at the Korea boot coverage of it, and the picture of her is very clear. I can see her. She's totally Korean looking. I think uh, they're going to catch her, and uh, they're going to catch her quick. Mary, you think she's going to you think she's going to be caught? Well, they have her image, so I would hope. Oh, that they gosh, could- it looks like a man. <laughs> is it a man dressed up as a it, woman? It looks like she's wearing a wig, a really bad uh-uh. wig, like 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 the show Surprise, that kind of bad wig. I don't know. That could be a man. <laughs> <laughs> Incidentally, in the subway, the subway crime ones, the subway police or the police station that gets the most complaints for this is in Chongno Samga. So if you ever on the <laughs> line three or line two. That's the, old, that's, that's the old man station. It's the old man station. 
Well, like I said, man, I, I, I'm, I'm a guy, but I, I, you know, if I had to pick someone to be doing this, it would be the pervy old guy. But as, as this, this, you know, Caribbean Bay video shows, it happens on both sides of things. Uh, let's move on to, to greener pastures. Uh, before we hit our, our last topic here, Joe, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, you're Mr. Food here in Korea. Every time I think about food, I think about you. I think of Zen Kimchi, which I guess I means I'm thinking about Joe quite a lot. Uh, could you talk about all the things that you're involved with? You give oh my t- goodness tours. You 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 run the blog. Uh, you 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 appear on talk radio. You appear on television. Yeah, I'm cutting. I'm trying so hard to cut back on what I do. That doesn't earn me money. Uh, but yeah, I, I run zinkkimchi.com, where Korea's longest running food blog. We also run uh, popular food tours on koreafoodtours.com. Also, if you go there, we run the Dark Side of Soul Tour, which is Korea's only ghost tour. It's really popular this time of year, especially Halloween coming up. Um, and uh, also, uh, and the food editor for Groove Magazine. These is I'm really cutting back on everything I'm doing. There's a possible TV show in the works, but I have nothing to announce on that one. That would be nice. I would I would enjoy watching some food uh, TV with you. Uh, I, I guess one, one final question before we, we jump into our final topic. How, how do you see food evolving here in Korea? The, the thing now that um, is being reported and also working at the broadcaster that I do, we're having some of these guests come in. This is kind of like the, the Gilpo, Korean-American, Korean-Canadian, Korean-Australian, or Koreans who just speak English very, very well and have some abroad experience. They're bringing these foreign foods into Korea and so you have like a barbecue place or you have, um, I don't know what another foreign food would be. Tacos. <laughs> I don't, yeah. Tacos. Tacos is a big one. Sure. Tacos. Uh, is that, is that the future of like the hip cool food scene here in Korea? Or do you think it might go a different direction? I think we're going to get more diversity. We're going to get a lot more international, more authentic places. At the same time, there's been a renaissance of Koreans rediscovering their own cuisine. And uh, we've had some exciting developments on there, and they've been developing new variations of Korean cuisine, including the, you know, I mean, some things are kind of gimmicky, but kind of fun, like the cheese craze that's been going around, uh, Mm -hmm. throwing cheese on everything spicy. But one trend, Korean food trend I really like is uh, the high-end Korean buffet. Uh, If you've ever been to one of those places, people have been hyping them up a bit, sitting in line, Mm -hmm. and you're thinking, why would I want to stand in line for Korean food? I can get it anywhere. But these places have really turned this jaded mofo around. I really do like uh, like Hanshik Ilban is really one of my favorite ones, run by Shinsegae. Now I've never been to a Korean buffet. I one time I found a place that was like ten or fifteen bucks. You could do like all you could eat samgyeopsal. Right? Barbecue, no, yeah, those cheap. Well, what places, what yeah. does a Korean buffet mean, and what what is the price for a high end Korean? Yeah, buffet? Yeah, well, it's around the same price as maybe Vips, one of the steak buffets. It's around uh, twenty bucks. Uh, a person uh, uh, 20,000 won a person a little bit more than that maybe and it's um, it's a lot of art it does a lot of regional cuisines it does uh, uh, really traditional things very modern things they have an all you can make your own popping su bar a, nice. lot, a lot of make your own stuff make your own bibimbap that Buddhist temple cuisine and it's extremely seasonal as well you and, guys are making me hungry. I'm sorry. You get some, <laughs> yeah. some foods that you never really see before, and it's not. And and my trouble with Korean buffets in the past is like it's just everything is just red. You know, everything has the same flavor, smothered in the same sauces. That's not actually. I think that's a more modern take, as everything being in red. And I think now we're having this rediscovery where people are are going back to. Korean food is supposed to be colorful, many different colors, many different flavors, not the same one-note flavor all the time. Uh, I think that was a side effect of industrialization is just people just didn't care about what they ate. But now people do care, and the food is getting so good. Uh, they put pictures of the, the, the people who are making the food up all around the restaurant. It's really cool. Like, I mean like, like the farmers and the, and the pic- people who are making the pickles and everything. This beautifully designed and the food, I, I, I love going back there. It's, it's, I've been so happy every time, and it's helped me rediscover my love for Korean food. You sold me, Joe. I, I put it on some pounds lately, and I, I think I'd like to do it for $20. That's a trend that I hope is coming uh, more seriously is this rediscovery of, of Korean cuisine itself rather than chasing after foreign trends, really badly done foreign trends. Yes, yes. Let's just be happy. We're in Korea. Korea is a wonderful place. We don't have to bring everything foreign here. Let's 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 focus on Korea from time to time. Yeah. Oh, in the yeah the the flavored mock the flavored soju thing this summer, big hit. I I kind of like it. I admit that. Oh no no yeah real quick, uh, Phil uh, Mary, do you guys like the flavored soju? I love the flavored soju. 
I tried flavored soju on MT when I started my new job. It's hideous. Soju. <laughs> what flavor? Soju. Well, think of when I first came to Korea in the '90s. People would drink lemon soju out of a kettle. Oh, I remember it, that. That's different. It's not different. It tastes well, the same. It's, it's the same idea. Adding a flavor to soju is not a brand new idea, but this particular incarnation is a little different, a little bit fruity. Uh, Mary, we're going to move on, but you're, you're, yay or nay on flavored soju? Uh, it smells like perfume? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, I guess that's Mary's answer. All right, guys, one last topic. It's, it's kind of a fun one. Good way to end the program. The 2015 World's Most Livable Cities Index is out. And as we all should know by now, Canada and Australia, once again, probably the best places to live. The Economist's Intelligence Unit says that, wow, once again, Melbourne is number one, followed by Vienna, Vancouver, Toronto, Calgary, Adelaide, Sydney, Perth, uh, Auckland, Helsinki, and Zurich. And as I mentioned, yes, you've, you've heard correctly, Australia has four in the top 10, Canada three in the top 10. Which kind of shows what you can do with your country when it's not run by the military. USA, listen up. But the reason that we're talking about this is because living in Seoul, according to this index, is apparently worse than living in Detroit. (laughs) Korea's capital ranked 58th on the list, just under number 57 Detroit. And just a little bit of uh, information about this index, the ranking considers 30 factors related to things like safety, healthcare, educational resources, infrastructure, and environment in 140 cities across the world. And it shows actually that since 2010, the average livability has fallen by 1% because of a 2.2% fall in the score for stability and safety in cities across the world. The most livable places tend to be mid-sized cities in wealthier countries with a relatively low population dead uh population density which is perhaps showing why seoul didn't do so well we're a very populous city um but even with that being the case could seoul be worse than detroit has anyone been to detroit i have there are lots of great things in detroit but it is not a city that you go to and it screams better than seoul what do you guys think about this who the hell is in calgary Detroit has uh, one of the highest crime rates, violent crime rates in the states, and just made news this week, the mayor wants to ban personal flamethrowers, which the company <laughs> the company who makes them uh, claims can be used for controlling weeds. I was going to say, how am I going to start my barbecue now? <laughs> personal flamethrower, man, you got to get a lighter. <laughs> So, okay, so I think we all agree Detroit has some problems, and the point of this topic is not to, to kick Detroit in the pants, because that's been happening for quite a long time, unfortunately. To be fair to Detroit, they've been, re- they've been working hard on increasing their cultural venues as, as well. Yeah, so, Detroit, I, I, I did an, uh, an interview sometime in the last maybe six, seven months uh, for the broadcaster that I work for, and it was talking about Detroit's kind of moving some things around, the Detroit auto, sh- uh, auto show is still going strong. So yeah, Detroit, you know, trying to make some progress, but... Seoul is just a wonderful city. Why, why do you guys think Seoul was ranked under Detroit? It's a fluke. I mean, London yeah. and New York ranked... Well, London, Detroit, New York, Seoul, all ranked in the 50s. New York City is in the 50s? Give me a break. Give me a break. I got to tell you, though, Philip, have you ever lived in New York? New York is a horrible city if you're not rich. New York is a dirty horribly overrated city if you are not rich well livable and where you want to live is not the same thing who would not want to live in london or new york city i would never want to live in new york city ever again i lived there six months and i wish i could forget it oh my god okay so obviously these polls are a little bit subjective and every time there are cities that do probably better than they should have and cities that do worse than they should have. But I guess let's focus on maybe what are some things that might have hurt Seoul in this? What are some of the problems with living in Seoul? Population density. I mean, you said it. The, the bias of, the, of, of that survey by The Economist is that populous and pop-dense cities yeah, score yeah. low. Well, I mean, on there, there's also a threat of military conflict. And we just talked before about how people outside of Seoul tend to escalate how much of a threat that really is. That's one of the stability factors. One, one of the things they did mention was that uh, a terrorism and crime. Mm-hmm. And uh, so Paris, because of what happened uh, last year, oh, goodness. it gets scored yeah. lower. Yeah. 
So that's another factor. But, I mean, crime and terrorism, I don't really see that as much of a, a threat in Seoul. Yeah, crime is super, super low here. Little things. Availability of over-the-counter drugs. I would say a little less so than where I, where I come from. I have to get people to bring basic drugs over. Yeah, like, if you have a cold yeah. uh, and you go to the doctor, they'll give you medicine. And I ask my girlfriend, I say, what is this? And then she'll be like, oh, he just kind of gave you vitamins. <laughs> um, and i know that in the, in the united states that you know we over prescribe a lot of stuff and you know i do i do love that shot in the butt i do love that shot in the butt they give you oh god yes who who has who has received a shot in the right or left butt cheek here in korea from a doctor i have no they uh, vaccinate for colds way they over vaccinate for flu and cold season no, no no but this was not a vaccination for a cold yeah my my doctor said i was missing some vitamins oh. and he gave me a shot that really hurt it feels great <laughs> oh it feels great oh man the rest of the day i'm like hi I love that. Uh, whenever I'm feeling sick and I'm just feeling really great, and like, and then I've, I crash, and I'm like, "Give me another shot in the butt, please." Yeah, yeah. Joe goes to three doctors to get his vitamin D, D deficiency. Yeah, yeah. Get my shot in the butt. But but basic things like like um like the stomach pills or just I mean I want to I, I like to have a giant bottle of ibuprofen on hand. It's really drugs hard to get suck in hand. Korea. They I, have, I have a good regulation against them. You can't get good drugs here. I for cough syrup and even like I got, I, I I had gotten food uh, poisoning when I went to Kenya and when I came back I wanted to get um not acidophilus what's it called the uh, bi uh, probiotics I wanted to mm -hmm. get a probiotic and the probiotic they sold in in the drugstore sucked so I had to like sneak I had to do this whole like spy cam sneaky North Korean spy thing to get decent probiotics from the military base mm -hmm. it, it was really a pain in the butt yeah. I have no people, people come over they have to they have to go by walmart and get me some stuff and re get my resupply going yeah no every time i go to the states um or even when i was in germany last september about a year ago um i always just hit like a basic store like a walmart or just like an apoteca in, in berlin to get basic stuff that is that is just lacking here i gotta tell you i, I love korea i love seoul i live here by choice it's it's my favorite place to live but yeah, even over-the-counter stuff isn't in the greatest here. Uh, Mary, what's, what's your experience been uh, living here in Seoul? Have you had problems getting uh, either prescription or over-the-counter medications? Well, I just wanted to ask if they factor in um, the amount of vomit stains per city. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be interesting to see where Detroit ranks on that right. <laughs> in comparison. Oh, <laughs> on the street. There's, there's Detroit pizza and then there's Seoul street pizza. But that's an indication of the... Um, landfill problem that is in Seoul like sanitation and landfill that's a big problem and why is that a problem in Seoul because of population density so I I, I think we all agree that uh, Seoul perhaps would have been nice to not be below Detroit um, but where do you think Seoul should fit on this uh, on this line then in the top 10 livable cities I think the top 10 ones that are there are probably much better than Seoul but is Seoul better than Tokyo? Is Seoul better than Berlin? Is Seoul better than New York? Is Seoul better than LA? Just to name a few well-known cities. Yeah, I would, I would say housing prices are really steep here. Um, yeah. I mean, not San Francisco, Silicon Valley steep, or even London steep, or even New... Well, I've heard people compare it quite a bit to New York as far as the steepness. Well, New York housing prices are horrible, but you don't have to throw down, you know, $200,000 to live in a place. You just have to pay a lot of money per month. Yeah. So it's, it's a different problem. Yeah. And so that's what we're stuck with. We do John say, and so we have, yeah, we have like $150,000 put down in a place that we can only be in for two years. <laughs> and then it's like, we got to, oh, we got to keep hunting for a new house every two, two years. It's just, ugh. I will it's say, it's pretty tough. Pretty in tough. defense, in defense of Seoul, the transportation system, amazing. Yeah, it is. So yeah, best I've ever yeah. found. Better than yeah. Germany. Yeah. There's a lot of good things. I mean, there was a, uh, I was at Korea Boo. There was a list of of great things about Seoul. I think uh, transportation is great. The all night uh, restaurant and bar scene is great. It's very dynamic. Um, I mean, you know, it's not that bad. I, I like dense population cities life, I like atmosphere the the lifestyle and i and actually i lived in germany and uh compared to germany oh gosh i love the lifestyle in germany as well though but i would say surprisingly more diversity i would say in cuisine in seoul than there would be in the places i lived in germany where did you live joe i lived in berlin and it was basically german food or um turkish food turkish yeah. food 
Uh, Heidelberg. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was it was a little limited. I, I really like German food, but yeah. you didn't eat out as much there. You you stayed at home or you bought I, bread and you brought some cheese and some meat and you just dined, yeah. you know, in your living room. I do I did like I like the, the drinking cultures of both those countries are really nice and just so different. Korea South Seoul is way more hardcore while Germans more laid back. But both drink heavily. Both both <laughs> end with the alcohol. There we are. Yeah, both drink heavily, but but Germans kind of like sit back in quiet place with some friends, and and Korea's kind of slamming back sojus and really, <laughs> alcohol is medicine. Yeah, well, they have to use alcohol as medicine because there's no other kind of the drugs, and now it smells like sweet perfume. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> let's end there, uh, Philip, real quick before we end the show. Why don't you tell us uh, a little bit about yourself and. You've done so much media work here in Korea. What have you learned um, while reporting stories, not only about Korea, but just doing reports while you're in Korea? Yeah, I've uh, I've been in Korea, you know, as an adult from the late 90s, from 1996 to now, on and off, not consistently. I can last about four years and then I just get fed up and I have to go to a different country and live for a few years and then I come back again. But I always come back. I love South Korea. I love Seoul. Uh, doing reporting, doing journalism here. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a different kind of scene. I mean, uh, what can I say? But um, yeah, I've done it a lot, and uh, it's fun. The one thing about being a journalist in general that I think people don't know is that you're not really getting your news from reading the newspaper. I get my news. I find out what's going on from talking to people. And that's one of the reasons why I like being a journalist, because... I really know, I find out what's really going on because I'm talking to the people who are doing all the horrible things that we're reading about in the newspaper. So you have awesome friends. <laughs> I wouldn't call them friends. Awesome acquaintances. There we are. Yeah, yeah. You've been you've been around quite a long time, Philip. You've been doing a lot of good work here, um, and you're continuing to do some stuff, jumping around from the different organizations. Yeah, you, you mentioned uh, the mandatory drinking you had to do for your company, so you just got a new job here. So hopefully you'll stay a few years, and once you get fed up, maybe jump somewhere else and uh, come back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, let, let, let's leave it there. Uh, I want to thank all of our guests for today's program. We've heard from Mary Hickman, Joe McPherson, and, of course, the man who was just speaking, Philip Iglauer. And this has been This Week Korea for Sunday, August 23rd. You can find out more at koreafm.net and also find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash koreafm.